Welcome to Unstoppable Faith with Dr. Kazumba Charles. This program is designed to inspire you to stand on the Word of God and to help you build unshakable and unstoppable faith in Jesus Christ. Here's your host, Dr. Kazumba. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you so very much for joining us on Unstoppable Faith. May the Lord bless you. And I trust this program will be a blessing to you. And I just pray the blessings of the living God upon you as you join us today on Unstoppable Faith. I have uh, a special guest who is going to be joining me shortly here. Dr. Michael uh, Brown. Uh, let me tell you briefly about Dr. Michael Brown. Uh, Dr. Michael Brown is the founder and uh, president of Ask Dr. Brown Ministries and of Fire School of Ministry in Concord, North Carolina. He has served as a visiting uh, professor or adjunct professor at seven leading uh, seminaries. He is the host of uh, a nationally syndicated daily talk show, Radio The Line of Fire. He has written more than 40 books and uh, 2,000 OP pieces. He has taken the gospel message around the world and he has uh, debated some of the toughest questions of our day on uh, university campuses. Stay tuned today as we talk about uh, Has God Failed You? Has God Failed You? Coming from his latest book, Has God Failed You? Finding faith when you are not even sure God is real. Stay tuned and I'll be right back with Dr. Michael Brown. Let's be honest. Have you ever felt like God failed you? Maybe you prayed and prayed and prayed for the healing of your child and the, and the child died. What do you do with that? Or maybe even reading the Old Testament, you start to get uncomfortable with the God of the Bible. Is he, is he really good? Can you really trust him? And then what do you tell your teenage kid when they say, well, why does God hate my gay friend? Why, why is God so mean? Do we have answers to these questions? Do we even know if God's really there? Friends, I've written a new book. It's different than any book I've ever written. It's called, Has God Failed You? Finding faith when you're not even sure God is real. This book gives you permission to ask the questions, permission to express the doubts, and then will bring you to God's truth and will bring you into an encounter with God that'll heal the pain and take the questions away. I believe this book is gonna be a lifesaver for you or for someone you love. Check it out today. Has God failed you? Finding faith when you're not even sure God is real. Welcome back to Unstoppable Faith. As promised, I have Dr. Michael Brown on this show today. I have uh, learned a lot of uh, things. He doesn't know this. He's a teacher. He's a preacher. He goes around the world. I was actually one time in one of uh, the services that he had done in uh, Saskatchewan, Saskatoon. I was surely blessed. But today we'll be talking about uh, Has God Failed You? from one of his uh, latest uh, book. Dr. Michael, welcome first of all on Unstoppable Faith. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited, so we're going to go right to it here. My first question 
to you is uh, what are the most common reasons people think that God has failed them? Yeah, you can, you can put this nearly into three different categories. They often overlap, but we can make them three distinct categories. The first is experiential. They feel as if God let them down. He wasn't there during a crisis. Their prayers weren't answered. Or maybe they were, they were hurt by the church or disappointed with sin in their own lives. So experiential, some bad experience that didn't seem to line up with what the Bible taught. Uh, another would be more intellectual objections. Uh, there are contradictions in the Bible, or the, the Bible is outdated, or the God of the Bible seems to be a bad character, or, or I can't reconcile accounts in the Bible with a good God. So more intellectual types of objections to the Bible or the God of the Bible. And then, then the next, and again, these often overlap, is more philosophical. The larger questions of how can there be such pain and suffering in a world if, if God is good? And why would he create a world in which there's so much evil? So generally, when people are really struggling with their faith, it's going to be one of these areas, bad experience, some intellectual issues, some philosophical issue. And then often over the years, the things even overlap so that they get intertwined in someone's life. Well, I'm going to go to this question. Uh, this is a more like a personal question, but I wanna, we want to learn from you. You grew up in a Jewish household, but became a follower of Jesus Christ. What kind of challenges uh, to your faith did you experience? Yeah, these were the, the intellectual challenges. So I, I didn't grow up in a religious Jewish home. So in, in other words, uh, I did not go to synagogue every Sabbath. We did not strictly keep the dietary laws. I didn't get up early in the morning and pray every day. So it was, a, it was more of a nominal Jewish home, but we still knew we were Jews. There was very much consciousness of that. I went to Hebrew school a few days a week after, after my regular school was over. Uh, I was bar mitzvah at the age of 13. So I certainly knew I was Jewish, but that didn't have a major role in my life when when I got caught up in the 60s, the whole counterculture revolution and drugs and rock and roll. So I was, I was living a godless lifestyle, heavy drug user for a couple of years, heard the gospel through a little gospel preaching church, and was radically born again at the age of 16 and a half. My dad was thrilled to see the change in my life. But he said, Michael, we're Jews. We don't believe in this. So he brought me to meet the local rabbis. So within weeks of me really coming to know the Lord, I'm already talking to rabbis and Jewish leaders and they're challenging me on every level. They're saying, you seem very sincere, and it's, it's wonderful your life has been changed, but, but this is not the truth that you're believing. This is not for Jews. So I'm quoting to them left and right from the, the King, James, King James Bible, which I'm reading and memorizing, and they're telling me, oh, these English translations are terrible, and you can't rely on that. And Look at what the Hebrew says, and the little Hebrew I'd learned, I'd forgotten by that time. And, and I'm showing them the Messianic prophecies. They go, oh, the verses are being pulled out of context. That's not what they actually mean. And so I got challenged from every level very quickly after I was saved. And then the first rabbi I met with, he was very interested in me and wanted to see me return to Judaism and become a devoted Jew. And so he brought me to meet other rabbis. And, and then from there, other rabbis. And many of them had dealt with people like me for years and years. So they had lots of experience in this. And and everything I'd throw at them, my best answers, they had responses for. 
And then when I started college, I thought, okay, I better learn Hebrew and, and, and understand things better so I can answer these questions. Well, when I started college, all the way from my bachelor's through my PhD, I never studied with a professor who agreed with me. And some were downright hostile. Some were atheists and, and aggressively uh, attacking the faith of believers and things like that. So I was challenged intellectually, really from day one in the Lord, and then for years and years and years. And, and basically, I determined I'm not going to put my head in the sand. I'm not just going to close my ears and say, I'm not going to listen, because these are serious questions. I'm going to seek God earnestly, and I'm going to seek truth earnestly, and I'm going to follow the truth wherever it leads. If, if what I believe is not based on truth, then I shouldn't believe it. But rather than this hurting my faith, it ended up strengthening my faith so I could love God with my heart and with my mind together. Oh, wow, that is, that is uh, really good. Now, let's go to this question here. Um, uh, many people question their faith uh, because, uh, like you alluded to earlier, they believe God let them down when they were struggling. How can that be overcome? Yeah, the reason I titled the book so boldly, Has God Failed You?, mm -hmm. is because many people feel as if he has failed them. Of course, we would say, well, it's impossible by God's nature to fail. But if you're not even sure he's there, you know, the yes. subtitle, Finding Faith When You're Not Even Sure God is Real. Yes. How, do, how do you believe if you're not sure there's someone to believe in? How do you have hope if you think maybe I'm making this whole thing up or others have made this up? So throughout the book, I deal with these issues in a heart-to-heart -heart way. In other words, I don't dismiss it. I don't say, well, you just need more faith. What's the use of telling someone they need more faith if they're not even sure God is real? So what I want to do with that person is, is really hear them out. In other words, if that's you, if, if you used to believe strongly, you were fervent, you were in the front row of your church building, you were on the streets preaching Jesus, and, and now you don't even read the Bible anymore, or now you identify as an atheist or as an agnostic, or now you've just kind of gone to some other church that doesn't really believe things so fervently, I, I want to hear why you're struggling. In other words, I'm not dismissing this. I'm not saying, well, it's, you're just not strong enough. I was talking to a colleague the other day about my book, and he said, well, the way I look at it, if people fall away, they weren't that strong in the first place. I thought, oh, boy, you don't get it, do you? You don't understand the, the pain and the turmoil and the anguish. And, and, and the mom that stayed up through the night praying for her little girl to be healed of leukemia and she fasted and cried out and, and put promises, and, you know, posted them on the walls of her house, and our child is going to be healed and live and watch the child die. This woman may have been very strong in faith and then had her faith shattered. So first, I want to understand why it is you feel God let you down. Let's, let's understand that, and, and then let's look to the Bible to see if there are answers. And let's start by looking at the cross and saying, hey, whatever else the Bible teaches, the central message comes down to Jesus. The central message comes down to God sending his son into our world to hurt alongside of us. And Jesus really understands. He even cries out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He understands. So I, I want to I try to, to just fan the flame a little, find maybe a little spark of hope and to say, hey, look, you're still here. As much as you have questions or doubts or maybe you're, you're even hostile, you're still here. If they're watching this interview, if they're reading my book, okay, you're still here. 
there is still hope. Your future could still be bright and blessed. It could be that the worst things that happen to you can become stepping stones for a beautiful future. Oh my goodness. The worst thing that might have happened to you can become a stepping stone to a bright future. What a powerful statement. Now, some people have uh, lost faith in God because they think uh, he lets uh, bad situations happen to good people. How has this uh, been uh, proven to be wrong? So first thing we realize that we're in a world where we can make free choices. If, if you want to be able to determine your own freedom to you, in other words, if I said to you, tell you what, we make a deal, we push a button, you never make a choice for the rest of your life. No human being on the planet ever makes a choice for the rest of their lives, but you'll be happy. Would you want that? No, mo most of us would not want to go in for some kind of surgery where we can't make any choices, you know, brain surgery, yeah. uh, but we'll always be smiling and happy. No, we want that freedom and, and the right to determine our future. And we want to exist. In, in other words, if people didn't want to exist, they'd take their own lives. And only a tiny percentage of people actually do take their lives, meaning that we prize our existence and we prize our freedom. Well, if that's what we think is important, and God agrees, that's why he created the world he did, that means that I might hurt you, or you might hurt me. That means you might make choices in your marriage that hurt your children. That means that some evil person might commit evil deeds. In other words, we are in a fallen world because human beings have freedom to make choices. That also means you have freedom in terms of how you respond to what happens to you. Are you going to let this destroy you? Or are you going to walk on this and, and turn it into something that makes you into a better person? Are you going to become bitter, angry, hostile, or perhaps more compassionate and long-suffering? So what we have to do is rather than leave God out of what happens in this world, is factor him into everything so that you don't live this life by yourself. Yes. So that you are walking with God in this world. And the scripture does say that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Those things in themselves may be bad. I mean, you think of Joseph sold into slavery in Egypt by his own brothers. I mean, it's, it's a terrible thing. He's a slave. Then he ends up in prison. He ends up in prison for doing the right thing. He gets falsely accused. He ends up rotting in a prison in Egypt. And it's from there that God uses circumstances to raise him up, to make him Pharaoh's right-hand man, to save his own family. The ones that sold him into slavery, he ends up saving. And he says, you meant it for evil, but God intended it for good for the saving of many lives. If, if it doesn't break you, it can make you. So we have to say, okay, Lord, we're in a messed up world, but you're a redeemer. You can bring good out of evil. You can bring light out of darkness. I'm not going to blame you for what other people do. And those of us who have spiritual insight realize there's also a devil who wants to destroy. I'm not going to blame God for what people do or what the devil does, but I am going to walk with him and work with him to see that the things that people mean for evil, that, that life can set against me, that your own family background can set against you. Once again, these can be things that God redeems. So I'm not going to blame him 
for what a human being does because he gave us choices. I'm not going to blame him for what Satan does. That's part of a larger spiritual picture. But I'm not going to leave him out either. Instead, I'm going to rely on him, look to him, walk with him. And I've seen now, it's almost 50 years of following Jesus. So I've seen a lot, been around the world, been disappointed, been hurt, seen the good, the bad, the ugly, the, the whole thing, seen many miraculous answers to prayer and many prayers not answered. I've, I've been at this for a while. And I can genuinely say my life is supernaturally blessed. And having God as my father and Jesus as my best friend is more than enough. And, and he is here for every single one of us. Powerful, powerful. If it doesn't uh, uh, break you, it can uh, make you. That is uh, a powerful statement. And you mentioned uh, on, uh, uh, you mentioned uh, prayer as well. I'm going to go to this question here. Why is God often silent when uh, people pray? And uh, how can they be sure? How can we be sure that when we pray to God, he will surely hear our prayers and respond? Yeah, I have a whole chapter in the book, early in the book, called This Prayer Really Work. And, you know, I, I, I list a lot of verses. You know, Jesus saying, ask and it shall be given you, seek and you shall find, knock and the door shall be opened. If you ask me for anything, I'll do it. And so many verses, it just seems like God says, you know, call to me, I'll answer you. And so we do, we pray and certain things are answered, but others aren't. And sometimes it seems the biggest and most important things aren't. And and our friend with cancer, we pray and pray, and they're, they're not healed. And, and we, we lose our job and go through financial hardship, and we pray for a miracle, and it doesn't seem to happen. And is it random? How do we work this out? So the first thing I do is say, okay, well, let's look at everything the Bible says about prayer. And there are wonderful promises for sure, but then there are conditions. For example, we have to pray according to his will. So I can't just sleep in bed all day and say, God, send money. So I don't have to go work. No, yeah. the Bible says if you don't work, don't eat. In other words, we have responsibilities. Um, you know, if, if you're in a marriage and you're not happy with the marriage, you can't say, oh, God, get rid of my spouse so I can have a, a, a new spouse. No, we have to pray according to his will. So yes. that eliminates a lot of our praying because a lot of our praying is just selfish, <laughs> earthly. That's so true. we pray according to his will, which we find in Scripture and which we find by living relationship with him. Jesus said in John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then ask what you will, and it will be given to you. Or Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord, then he'll give you the desires of your heart. But not only do we have to pray according to the will of God, we have to persevere. And Jesus, the same one who says, ask and it shall be given you, also says in Luke 18, he gives a parable teaching us that we should always pray and not faint, not cave in, not lose heart. And he talks about a situation with a, with a widow who's going to the judge saying, avenge me of my adversary. And the judge doesn't fear God and he doesn't care about people. So why should he answer this widow? But she just keeps coming day in, day out, day in, day out. And, and he says, you know, she's going to wear me out. So I'm going to give her what she asked for. And then Jesus says, how much more will God do that? But when, when he returns, when the Lord returns, will there really be faith on the earth? In other words, how many people are going to persevere? And how many people partway along the process are going to cave in? Now, someone might say, well, it's just all random. You know what? Gets answered one day, not another day. Now, here's what we need to do. First, when we see God answer, we need to journal it. We need to remember it. Because many times we forget. 
So look, if, if I'm praying for blind people to be healed, and I pray for 10 people born blind, and none of them are healed, and number 11 is miraculously healed, and the rest of their lives they see perfectly, I never want to forget that, because there's no natural or human explanation for it. God did that. I, I want that to be like, like, a, like a peg stuck in the wall that I can hold on to. And remember, hey, God supernaturally answered this prayer. Or God led me to pray at this time, in this crucial moment, and it was exactly in, in, in harmony with when this person was in an urgent need and that miracle happened. I want to remember those to get me through the difficult times when I don't see answers. And then here's the biggest thing. I need to understand that not only does the Bible tell me I need to persevere, not only does the Bible include verses where the psalmist says, you know, how long am I going to wet my, my pillow with tears, soak my pillow with tears, that's in the Bible too. But prayer is ultimately about building a relationship with God. It's not just about getting answers. It's ultimately about building a relationship. And if I understand that, perhaps God's teaching me perseverance. Perhaps God's teaching me greater faith. Perhaps God's building character in me. So I know that some prayers are going to require perseverance. I'm going to rejoice and remember and, and memorialize the answers that I do receive so I don't forget the goodness and power of God. And then, more than just praying for answers, I'm going to pray to deepen my relationship with my Heavenly Father. Amen. Amen. Prayer is uh, a relationship with God. We just actually finished a series on uh, looking at one of the Hebrew words, uh, tefillah, which talks about, uh, you know, that bonding. Prayer is simply just the bonding where we bond with God. But unfortunately, like you've alluded to it, it uh, sometimes we make it a request session where we just request this request that but anyway that's not the topic let me go to this topic here uh, uh talking of the bible you mentioned the bible uh dr michael and uh some people use as the the excuse that uh, the bible is an outdated a bigoted book when renouncing their faith why is this false right so i actually devote two chapters in the book to these objections. The Bible is outdated. The Bible is misogynistic. The Bible is homophobic. The, the God of the Bible is genocidal and angry and cruel. We must tackle these head on because they are just out there being asked, being addressed. About 15 years ago, there was the rise of what are called the new atheists, Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens and Sam Harris and, and others. And they, they, their books became bestsellers, even in the religion category. They'd be bestsellers for, for years. And a lot of this has just trickled down, this attack on God, this attack on the God of the Bible, the, the rise of gay and lesbian activism, and, and this question, well, why does the, the God of the Bible hate us? You know, we're nice people. We're your neighbors or friends and family members. You know, your religion hates us. Why? And a lot of this has trickled down. And even, even with questions about Israel today and the Palestinians, it's like, well, the God of the Bible, he always calls for the extermination of his enemies, and he's cruel and genocidal. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the famous apologist Josh McDowell has said that the objections that he was commonly dealing with on college campuses for years, he's now encountering with kids who are 12 or 13 years old. Mm -hmm. And I'm seeing this constantly in terms of 
of questions about God, questions about the God of the Bible that you normally encountered college and beyond, and now younger and younger people being exposed, which means they don't even have the intellectual capacity to work and think these through on many levels. Mm-hmm. It's more just an emotional response or, you know, well, my friend Bobby is gay and why does God hate gay people? And, you know, that, that's what it comes down to or, or misconception about who the God of the Bible is. So what I do is I unpack each of these point for point in a serious way. And I start with, with pointing to how the biblical authors describe the God of the Bible. You know, merciful and compassionate and long-suffering and calling for Israel to be kind to the foreigner and, and to be kind to the poor and the widow and the orphan and how important these people are to God and how he'll fight for their cause. You think, well, does it make sense on the next page to present that same God as a moral monster? Well, the answer is no. So we have to dig deeper. Okay, why did, why did God call for the the killing of the Canaanites, or the driving out of the Canaanites. And then you see that, that God waited 400 years, despite the fact that they were guilty of all types of sexual perversions, incest, bestiality, despite the fact that they were sacrificing their own children to idols and burning them alive in the fire. Before God drove them out through the Israelites, he waited 400 years. That's longer than the entire history of America. So God demonstrated extraordinary patience even while his people Israel were slaves in Egypt waiting for redemption he said it's it's not time yet to judge them for their sins so when the judgment came when Israel drove them out and and, and killed them there was a reason for it it it, it was like uh, people wiping out Isis today before they perpetrate more acts of terror you know the idea that God is homophobic no, what, when you understand the beauty of the Lord and the beauty of his creation and how meticulously everything was made and fashioned for a purpose and the uniqueness of male and the uniqueness of female and why he made us to, to come together as one, even if you differ with my conclusions, you can't call it hate. Yeah. Biology is it's not bigotry. You can't call it being homophobic or transphobic. Rather, it's just being in harmony with the beauty of God's design. You know, even the idea that the Bible is misogynistic, there's no question that the Bible is written in, in the midst of patriarchal cultures in, in the ancient Near East and the, the Greco-Roman world. We, we understand that. Yeah. But the principles in Scripture are such that wherever the gospel has gone, it has been liberating for women. It has raised women up to an equal status to men in the homes. It has raised women up as leaders within the church and, and within the society. It has called on men to be sexually pure and not just women to be sexually pure. So, and you have, you know, lengthy sections like Proverbs 31, uh, two-thirds of that chapter just praising the, the godly woman and the entrepreneurial woman, businesswoman, and kind of leading her home and, and how the, the well-being of her husband and kids is, is on her shoulders. You know, she's the real key behind it. Uh, books that are misogynistic don't don't have that. The the fact that Jesus has women serving within his ministry and sitting as he taught that was unheard of. The the fact that when he rises from the dead he doesn't first appear to his apostles but to women. Yes. And then he tells the women to go tell the men. I mean, this is extraordinary. So what we do is we unpack the objections and we take them seriously, and then when we unpack them and see that there's really 
nothing to them that the Bible can be trusted and the God of the Bible can be trusted. If you're just joining us on Unstoppable Faith, uh, whether you are watching or listening on radio, um, uh, I have a great man of God, Dr. Michael Brown, a powerful teacher, a powerful, powerful man of God. He's released this book, As God Failed You. You can see it on the screen. I'm holding a copy here. Finding faith when you, when you are not even sure God is real. I want you to get a copy of this. I'll be giving away a copy. You can text us and we'll be glad to send you a copy when you text to info at kitvnetwork.com. Now, just before we begin, uh, we wrap up the program here. I still have a few questions that we're going to go through here uh, with uh, Dr. Michael here. Dr. Michael, talking of uh, the Bible that we're talking about, the beauty of it, the beauty of God's creation, uh, how does the Bible relate to modern day society? Well, it relates wonderfully. I, I remember when our daughters... We're coming into their teen years, so they're going to be around kids that you know, drink and do drugs. And I took them into Proverbs and the description of a guy that gets drunk and wakes up you know, all bruised and beaten the next day, doesn't know what happened to him, says, oh, I'm going to have another drink. And I said, hey, this is relevant, isn't it? And, and what's amazing is I've, I've been out of the United States probably about 200 trips and been to countries like India 27 times, so, you know, many, many different parts of the world, different cultures. What's extraordinary you can preach the Bible in any of them. That, that you can preach the words of Jesus in a tribal village in India, and you can preach the words of Jesus at, at Yale University in, in the United States, or at Oxford in, in England. That, that the truths are enduring truths, because human beings are the same. We may have different languages and cultures and foods and music and styles, but human beings are still human beings. Yeah. We still sin. We still grieve, we still hurt, we have joys, we have disappointments, and it, it's extraordinary to see how God speaks to it. even the pain, the suffering that we go through. The, God's saying in the Bible, I want you to know that I understand. He, he raises questions in the Bible about suffering and pain and, and why do righteous people go through hell on earth. Even if you haven't raised that, it's in the Bible already because God says that's what happens in this world. And I want you to know I understand it and I have answers for it. it. It's extraordinary to see. And the more that I dig into the Bible, you know, riches come when you, when you really dig. The treasures are, are hidden. Uh, the, the reason that, that gold and, and silver are costly, the reason that, that, that gems, diamonds, and things like that are costly is, is because they're under the surface and they're hidden and they're rare. So real treasures, just like a wonderful relationship with the person you love, that doesn't just drop out of the sky on you. It has to be cultivated. And so I want to encourage your viewers, really dig. Yes. Study deeper. Don't just have superficial objections. We've, we've been through all this. I've heard them all. Go deeper because the deeper you dig, the more treasures you'll find in the Word and the more you'll be astounded at the wisdom of God laid out there in the Scriptures. Powerful, powerful. Now, what should a Christian do uh, if their friend or close family member give up on uh, believing in God? Right. Don't react negatively, like getting mad at them or judging them. And to be perfectly honest, my brother, 
Many times we react to someone else's lack of faith because we ourselves are insecure. Yes. In other words, when you raise questions about God to me, it's like, well, I don't want to talk. You're wrong. Something's wrong. Why? Because I'm insecure myself because that threatens my own faith. So what I want to do first is be so secure in God that I can tell that person, hey, tell me what's going on. I, 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 and you're not going to argue. You're not going to attack. You want them to know that you have a listening ear and that whatever questions or doubts, even if they seem silly or easy to answer to you, obviously they didn't seem silly or easy to answer to your friend or loved one. So you want to provide a hearing ear. And then secondly, you want to go to God in prayer for them because prayer is our great secret weapon. Uh, when I was a mocker, when I was shooting heroin and using LSD and playing drums in a rock band, people were praying for me yeah. in this little church, and, and the Holy Spirit began to convict me of sin. I didn't believe in a Holy Spirit, but he began to convict me of sin. He began to change me. He began to make me uneasy with my lifestyle, and that was the key thing that God used to bring me to faith. Uh, I had a, a close friend of mine got saved right before me, and then we were best friends for years. And, and after some years in the Lord, he fell away. And he was away from God for over 40 years. Think of it. Whenever he would come to mind, I would pray for him, sometimes with tears. And after 40 years, he came to the end of himself. Really, over 40 years away from God. He came to the end of himself. And a couple of years ago, we started getting in contact again. And he said to me, Mike, I'm doubting my doubts. And God kept working in his life, and he's on fire. He just loves sharing the gospel. He's excited about Jesus. I mean, it's absolutely remarkable. So pray. First, be there to listen, be open. Yes. Second, pray. And then look to find answers. That's why what has God failed you to say, hey, there are answers, whether, whether it's experiential, intellectual, philosophical, and see if, if, if that person's open. Say, hey, would you read this book? Because I wrote it for the struggler or for the person to give to the struggler, right? If you're strong in faith, to give to that person who's lost faith. And if they have more specific questions, say, okay, let's find answers to those. Or let's, let's go deeper because if they are sincere and they're really open to the truth, God will bring them back. And I encourage you to get this book uh, wherever books are sold. Uh, uh, you will be blessed. Dr. Michael, I got two more questions sir, before I let you go here. Um, there are people listening to you right now, listening to Unstoppable Faith here, and uh, they have uh, heard what you've been saying. Uh, and they're like, uh, how do I start rebuilding my relationship and trust in God after the disappointments or they've been let down in church, uh, things like that. So how does one start rebuilding their relationship and trust in all with God? Right, so start where you are with total honesty. I was talking to someone recently who lost an older child to cancer, and this person, always strong in faith, said, Mike, I don't even know that I can say that God is good right now. I said, don't. Don't say it if you don't believe it. Just say, God, I got to be honest with you. I, I, I know you're there, but I, I don't know if you're good. Okay, start there. Be honest. Or say, God, I don't, I don't know if I'm just talking to the air right now. I'm saying, God, I don't even know if you're there. But if you are there, make yourself real to me. If you are there, just give me a sign, a token, something to help draw me back. And, and then... 
even if it's just a thin, thin strand, grab hold of that. Scripture says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to us. So obviously if there's sin, disobedience, rebellion in our lives, as, as God's working in us, we're, we're going to be turning away from that and drawing near to him. But wherever we find ourselves, be honest. God, I, I, I believe you're there, but I don't, I don't know if any religion is true or I don't know about Jesus. Start where you are. If you just say, Jesus, I can't deny you, but I've got a problem with the Bible. Just be honest. Start where you are. Talk with the Lord openly, honestly, and then turn in his direction. Hey, how is it going to hurt you? If the whole thing is a myth and you read the Bible, it's a myth. If the whole thing is a myth and you pray, nothing's going to happen. I'm encouraging you, open your heart and allow yourself once again to have the possibility of belief. What I'm saying is start where you are and, and open your heart for the possibility of disappointment. Some people are like, no, I can't go through that again. I'm saying you're still here. Yes. You haven't walked away entirely. You're still listening. You're still watching. You're still thinking. So right where you are, start honestly. And as you do, you take one step in God's direction, you'll be amazed at the steps he takes towards you. And as things begin to fall into place, then be willing to jump in his arms again. Be willing at that point to take that jump because you will find love and compassion and you will find yourself back home. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, uh, what are the best methods to ensure a holy and uh, living, sorry, loving relationship with God? You have to prioritize it. Once, once you're on your journey, then you have to give it priority. Yes. Um, the last chapter of the book, we tell the story, I say we, because my wife and I really looked at this together carefully. We tell the story of a friend who was in the faith for years, was a believer, but always struggled with doubts. Like many of you that are watching, you're in church, maybe even in ministry, but you have this pain you live with, these doubts. And this, this friend lived like that for years and years and years. And finally got to the point of saying, I am going to seek God and find him, or I'm going to die trying. In other words, I'm going to go after him like nothing else matters. And it says in Hebrews 11, 6, that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It says in Deuteronomy 4, 29 and Jeremiah 29, 13, that if we'll seek him with all of our heart, that we'll find him. So if you will prioritize it, you say, but you don't understand. I work two jobs. I got kids at home. I'm busy. Ah, but your heart can be crying out day and night. Yes. You know, if, if, if you have a, a, a loved one very close to you that's, that's in critical condition in the hospital, you don't know if they're going to live or die. You feel that day and night. When, when you skip meals and you fast, even in, during a busy day, you're aware, you feel that. In the same way, what I'm saying is get in your car and say, God, I've got to find, you've got to make yourself real to me. When, when, you, when you stop for a minute, you've got a break, take out the Bible, read verses, seek him, prioritize it. Through the day, when you fall asleep at night, God, you've got to show you, I, I can't live in the in-between. I have to know that I know that I know. And I'm telling you, if you seek him earnestly, he will never, ever disappoint you. And you will come into a relationship with God you didn't know was possible. It is possible, and he is real. Thank you so very much, sir, for coming on Unstoppable Faith. My joy to be with you.
I trust that we will have you once again to do different teachings to help our viewers around the world. Uh, this is so powerful. This is so solid. And I'm so thankful to you. Well, so glad to do it. And obviously, these are critically important questions. That's why I wrote the book. And I encourage folks to visit our website, askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org. We've got a lot of resources there. I, I trust will be a blessing to your viewing audience. And you will see it on the screen there. Just quickly here before we go, I forgot to ask you this question. Where would you want the viewers to go and get a copy of uh, this powerful book, As God Failed You? Yeah, well, since uh, the broadcast goes into different countries, uh, wherever you're able to order your books, but if you get on online any of the standard book dealers, you can get the physical book or the ebook or even the audio book. Uh, you can write to our website directly, sdrbrown.org, or Amazon, any of the online book dealers. You can then download the ebook or the audio book and start reading or listening immediately. Awesome. And to our viewers, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord watch over you. Continue to watch Unstoppable Faith. Faith is the currency of the kingdom of God. Thank you for tuning in to Unstoppable Faith with Dr. Kazumba Charles. If this program has been a blessing to you, write to us at life at and share your testimony.